Well, guys, would you grab a Bible and make your way tonight? We are going to be in Luke's Gospel. Uh, we're picking up that where we left off last week. We made it about halfway through the chapter in chapter 22, so hopefully you got a Bible. And if so, would you make your way there to join us? If you're catching with us online, if you're you know, watching in overflow, we invite you to open a Bible, electronically, physical, however that works. Hey, if you're using a Bible, want to use a Bible here in the sanctuary, there are Bibles in front of you in every seat, page number on the screen, and FYI, they're brand new Bibles. Like, when we got the chairs, we kind of decided to get new Bibles, so this is the first place that they're there, like brand new Bibles, they're like better print, and so hey, if you're, you get the first time to use it, if you're going to be using one of those, and would love to have you, make sure you're with us as we just long to have God speak to us. So let's take a moment and ask Him for that. Let's ask that God would right now just give us the ability to hear from Him, that He would speak to you and to me through His Word. And so I'm going to lead in that, but I'm asking you to pray as well, that your heart would be open to hear what Jesus would say to you, what the Spirit would speak into your life. Father, we come right now, and I think of that heart of Samuel, who as a young boy was instructed to say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. God, you're a faithful God, and we, we, we long for you to speak to us. We know that you, you long to speak to us. But now would you grant us help to be those who are indeed listening, to hear what you would say to us, that, Lord, tonight that would take place, that you would give us understanding, but also just a word from you. God, I ask for that for me. And for each of us here, that you'd help us to hear your voice. We pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus said something amazing. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It is this invitation, this admonition from Christ that in many ways becomes what we want to think about tonight, but certainly grips us, that he tells us if you want to come and you want to be a follower of Jesus, that's a follower that would take up the cross, that he invites us to do that, and he says to do it daily. This isn't like a one-time event. This is an approach to life in many ways that he says we ought to have. I want to hold that to you because tonight we're there. We're right in the final hours. They're heading up to the cross. If you were with us last week, we were there in the upper room, and we watched communion being just instituted by Jesus and lots of things. And then with just hours to go to the cross, we begin to watch just the, the, the flow of that. And in that space, I just want to invite you to see it. There's so much detail here. There's depth beyond the space that we can go into this evening. But you want to see Jesus. We want to watch him approach and pursue the cross and see everything that's in the midst of that. But at the same moment, it is again an invitation to say as we watch him approach the cross, as we watch him take up the cross, if you will, and head down that road, it is an invitation for you and I to consider that same journey, that what it would look like for us to do that. So that's going to be our approach to this this evening. Well, we begin with a place that we watch the road that begins to happen from the upper room and, and kind of a physical preparation that Jesus speaks about. Notice what he says in verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out without money, bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And so they said, nothing. Then he said to them, but now, he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. 
For I say to you that this is what was written must be accomplished in me. And he who was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, look, look, Lord, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. It's a pretty interesting thing where Jesus begins to call them to being prepared. And he likens it to where they've been. He's kind of looked at his disciples very specifically being with him over the last three years. And he's told them, hey, have you, have you lacked anything with me? And the answer has been, honestly, no. He's taking care of them. He's been there at every space, but that's about to change. Jesus is about to leave them. He's about to depart and, and go to the cross and do what he said here, that he's going to be numbered with transgressors in verse 37. He's going to die. And life is changing in many ways for them, and he calls them to be prepared. And he speaks about it in three different ways. He says, boy, you know, in one sense, there ought to be a financial preparation. If you don't have a money bag, you should take it. Uh, there's kind of a food or, or just kind of provisions and supplies thing where he says, if you don't have a knapsack, boy, you, you need to take it. And there's even a place of kind of self-defense where he says, he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now, as you think through this thing, there's a lot of details here, but let's think this through with me for a moment, that it would seem to me that this piece of instruction is as much for us in this moment, more than it was even for that specific space. Yeah, they're hours away. I mean, they're about to leave the upper room, go into Gethsemane, then Jesus is going to go to the cross. There is no space for them to make any changes. These instructions wasn't for that specific moment. But in many ways, it certainly becomes for us that as we think about walking down this road, walking down a road that is, you know, both difficult, hard spaces where the world will treat us in the same way it treats Jesus. And he calls us to this. He calls us to a place of preparation. And I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it because it's really a balanced approach. And we could literally spend the rest of the evening on this. We're not going to. I'm just going to give you enough to say that in one sense, Jesus calls us to this balance that would be between a, this place of f- living foolishly or being one of those serious preppers. And maybe, again, you know what I mean by that. There is a foolishness whereby you could just not even be careful, that there ought to be a place, he says, hey, you ought to be one that, you know, both financially, you know, in this place of, of just taking care of things and even self-defense, a place that he would say, hey, that's a genuine good space to have. That's a genuine place that, that in our lives, as we think through living in a fallen world, how we ought to live at the same moment. It's not overboard. That in one sense, even when the disciples tell him, look, we got two swords, and he's like, that, that's really all you need. There is no sense here of kind of going full tilt prep, you know, in the sense, and maybe again, you know what I mean by that. Maybe you even know someone who falls into that category. There's some that look at our world and they're so afraid, you know, and then some senses, you almost get the sense that they're going to take care of themselves. It's like, we don't just have guns. Like, I got a tank, you know, it's like, you know, and I'm kind of coordinating to get an F-16 if I can do it, you know, kind of thing. You know, it's like, okay, really, I mean, that's, there's, a, there's an over kind of trust in your own ability to take care of yourself. He's certainly calling us away from that at the same moment. It's, it's, if he's looking at this dark moment that he's heading into the cross, and again to that place where he's telling us, hey, if anybody wants to come after him, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to take up our cross daily. Well, there certainly is a place where we recognize that in this world, I mean, there's trouble, and that's an expectation for us. That's a preparation for us. It shouldn't catch us off guard, and so certainly there's a place where that should be kind of a balanced approach in your life, that as you think about living in a world that is not your friend, 
how you approach it. And so he gives us just a good place of physical preparation. And again, much you could say there, but I love, love, love just Jesus' balance. Well, after that instructions, they begin to head to this place where there's kind of a spiritual kind of road mark in this or spiritual preparation, specifically prayer. He says it in verse 39. He says, in coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. So we think about this place where Jesus is heading into Gethsemane, and I don't know how you picture Gethsemane. Um, sometimes people talk, think about Gethsemane and think about it as a garden, and so sometimes they'll think about, you know, kind of tulips or flowers or something like that. It's not. When they th- really Gethsemane, literally means the place of the olive press, and it really is uh, just a grove of olive trees. It's a beautiful place on the Mount of Olives, up there on the side of Israel, getting to see it. In some ways, you could almost imagine it. It's not a perfect illustration, but kind of a pecan grove. It's kind of a place where trees all around and space that's in there. This is where Jesus heads to at this moment in this last kind of walking steps up towards the cross. But it's interesting because it, it is a place of prayer. In many ways, the olive press itself becomes a powerful picture of what's taking place in the midst of this. But what I love about it is it just begins by telling us it was a place that Jesus customarily went. Yeah, it just tells us there again in verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. Somehow this was a space that Jesus found uh, that in the midst of his ministry that this wasn't the first time that what's going to take place at this moment is taking place. It's been a common space. If you walk through the Gospels, you'll see that. You'll find that Jesus often withdrew to pray, that he often found spaces as he headed into this moment. So it's no surprise that it becomes something of that as well, that when we think about what's approaching that, it becomes that. And to say it simply, it's meant to be that for you and I as well, that there ought to be a space that we have just this customarily life of prayer, space of prayer, places where it's often being found that as we approach life, that's a place where we come to. As we watch Jesus do this, we notice that he very specifically speaks instruction to his disciples and to us. It says in verse 40, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's a powerful reality. We ended last week talking a little bit about temptation, so I'm not going to go deep into that, but I'm just going to say this. Every one of us is constantly dealing with temptation in this world. And one of the powerful realities that Jesus lays out right here is he says, hey, if you could pray, if you could enter into prayer, you could pull back from that. Pray that you won't even be kind of drawn into all that that would be. Now, that's a powerful reality on any given day. It's a powerful reality in this moment, but one of the things that's worth just thinking through is how Jesus is taking this moment for him and giving us instruction. Then we think about what he's about to face, he's dealing with temptation, He's dealing with the, the weight of everything that he's, he's getting ready to roll through, and he's telling us, hey, this is how I do it. This is how you ought to do it. You know, this is how you ought to be facing those hard spaces, that they ought to drive you to your knees and, and be able to walk in that, and so he does. Well, he takes his disciples in there. We know from the other gospels that he takes, you know, the, the eight of them to one place, then he takes three of them in further, but then he leaves them and enters into this space of prayer all by himself. Well, that's what Luke picks up. And it says in verse 41, and he was withdrawn from, withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, 
Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Much that's in Jesus' prayer here that's worth us noting, just pointing out a couple quick pieces of it, for starters, just the relational aspect of it. You know, that he just begins it in this place of acknowledging both his relationship to God and who that God is in that. It's just a good reality. I hope that's a good space of your prayer life that, you know, as you head into to, to pray for things, especially if you're praying for needs and even your own life. I mean, sometimes just to stop and recognize relationship. In the other gospels, we know that Jesus would add to it, that there's nothing too hard for God, that it isn't just relationship. It's also worship of just acknowledging who God is. It's a great space. But the fundamental part of this prayer is a place where Jesus is praying for God's will in this moment. And you catch it again. It says, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not your will, but mine. But never, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus speaks of this moment, and, he, and he's telling us this place, and it's an amazing reality to think through. He says, God, if there's any other way, take this cup. And the idea of a cup in the Old Testament, the cup is, is a picture of suffering and, and taking that. And he's looking at what he's about to go through is a, is a cup of suffering that he's going to have to drink. And he, and he knows this. I mean, in one sense, it's amazing to realize that he's been telling his the disciples, hey, this is what's happening. We're heading towards Jerusalem. All this is going to happen. But that doesn't change the weight of this. And what's so beautiful about this is the way that he's even approaching this is the way that he calls us to, that even in the midst of this, he's saying, God, is there any other way? If there's any other way, take this away from me. Simple answer, there is no other way. But in this, he's praying, not my will, but yours be done. That's a very important part of our prayer. In fact, it's part of the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. Or we're asking God, you know, for his will to be done in our lives, even as it's done in heaven. That reality is a part of that. It's a place where we're asking for guidance. It's a place where we're asking for direction. That's a good space of it. But I also just want to kind of bring this out to you again, that that's not what Jesus is doing here. It's not like he doesn't know. It's not like he's like, well, I don't have, you know, kind of not really sure what God wants in this moment. He's just having a hard, he's facing the weight of the temptation, the weight of everything that's going in here. The humanity of Christ is fully just seen in this moment that he, it tells us in Hebrew that he's tempted in all manner as we are. He just doesn't ever sin. That, that temptation never wins the day with him. But he's facing it fully. And one of the powerful realities, again, is just to look at that and think, hey, there's something here that as we walk through life, a place where, boy, not just knowing what God has for our life, but sometimes kind of connecting that dot between, I know what God wants and my heart isn't there. I, I, I know this is what God says, but boy, I'm not, I, I feel not totally there or kind of pressed in another way. I don't know what you do with that reality. For some people, they just feel hypocritical. They feel broken or something's wrong with them. But Jesus is there, and this is how he connects that. He's in a place of going to God and crying out to him and saying, God, I'm desperately needing you. And it's a powerful reality, a reality that Christ shows us how he's dealing with this and how he walks through all of this where he's just praying this. And we know he prays it over and over that evening. In this place, it becomes a place of strength. It tells us in verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Powerful reality. 
that in answer to this, even in this moment, he's having strength given to him supernaturally, angelically. Now, we talked about angels and demons a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning, and we kind of uh, talked about then that, boy, there's so much we don't understand. And honestly, there isn't. There's so much we don't understand, but it's a powerful reality that we think through that God even does this in us. It tells us in Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to us, and that sometimes in that place of prayer that even angels involved where you might not see what Jesus sees, but strength is being given. I mean, strength to face the temptation, to walk in this difficult space. Jesus is gaining it here. I just want you to see this. I want you to see this to be amazed at Jesus, to be amazed at how it works. But one more time to think through, okay, if Jesus is telling us, hey, you want to do life that I have for you, you're going to have to live the way that I lived. You're going to have to take up the cross the way that I took up the cross. How do you take up the cross? He's doing it right here. It's not always easy, but it's a place that's driving him to prayer. It's a place that he's intensely moving into that. In fact, it's earnest. You notice what it says there in verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's an intensity that's probably even hard to kind of get to. He is so anguished in prayer, literally just sweating and possibly even the the very capillaries in his skin breaking, which is not an uncommon thing. He's in intense stress. And yet all of that kind of moving into this moment, but one more time, it's how he's praying. This isn't like a casual prayer like, hey, God thought I'd just ask. I mean, he's like intense. He's moved to face this moment, and it's powerful. Sadly, the disciples around him, not so much. Verse 45, when he rose up from prayer and he came to see his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. That they're all wiped out, and again, it's the middle of the night, but part of it, he just knows that they're handling this hard space by sleeping, where Jesus was handling it by praying. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Like, why are you facing it that way? There's a better way to go at this. There's a better way to handle what you're facing at this moment, and it's how Jesus was doing it. So we're thinking through this reality that Jesus is saying, hey, you want to come after me, then you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to say no to what you want, and then you're going to have to take up your cross, and you have to do that all the time. That's going to be life for you. That's going to be daily for you, and that's the only way you're going to be able to follow me. And so certainly here in this moment where we gaze into Gethsemane, it's a powerful picture of how to do that, that in one sense there's not anybody here this evening that this would not be the path that God would have for you to walk and follow Him. And I just want to hold it out to you, not in a way of condemnation, but in a way of invitation saying, boy, there's a better way. <laughs> there's a better way than the way that sometimes we do it, than kind of giving in, giving up, or just feeling bad, thinking, okay, we should be driven to God. We should be driven to pray, to cry out, and to ask for His strength. So we're watching the approach to the cross. There's definitely kind of a preparedness that Jesus speaks about. There's definitely this spiritual preparation that is certainly just highlighted in prayer, But now I'm just going to say kind of a relational road that Jesus walks down that's worth our quick note. We catch it in verse 47, and it begins. It says, While he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, 
Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Crazy moments. We're watching at this moment Judas betray Jesus and and what that looks like. We spoke about this a little bit again last week, so not going to dive into all that we said there. But Judas has been heading into this moment and now fully stepping into this place of betraying Jesus, doing so in a very hypocritical way. I mean, nobody knows Judas is betraying Jesus. He's lived a life in such a way that everybody thinks he's an upright, good guy. So that just hours before this, Jesus was able to say, hey, one of you is going to betray me, and nobody knew. Nobody was like, well, you know, we've really been wondering about Judas because he's kind of sketchy. You know, it's like it hasn't been that way. He has totally played the game in such a way that he looks good. In fact, that's what he's trying to do right now. He's kind of engineered this so that he can walk up to Jesus and give him a kiss, and it would look like he's, you know, being all buddy-buddy and and kind to him, but it would be a a signal to the troops that are going to take Jesus, and Judas is still hoping that in one sense to still live this hypocritical life, that he could still pretend to be kind of a follower of Jesus, but Jesus has known. And he says, Judas, are you doing, is, this, is this how you're going to do this? Is, are you going to betray me with a kiss? Now, we think about all of that, much that's happening there, but I just want you to understand, in the scheme of relationships, betrayal has got to be one of the hardest of things, uh, one of the things that becomes one of the most difficult things to walk through. And I know that probably for most of us, you know something about that a place where you felt betrayed. Sometimes they're small things, and they're big things. For some of you, it's family. Some of you, it was a friend. For some of you, it was a spouse that betrayed you. And there's that moment of, of just walking through this place where somebody has, has done incredibly wrong by you and, and how that works through. But Jesus is walking through it. He's walked through it with his eyes wide open and, and knew it, knowing from the beginning how it would happen, but never being moved from that. Maybe that's partly what I want to say at this moment, especially as we're thinking through this section. We'll talk a little bit more in a moment, but I'll just say it to you this way. We're called into relationships. We're called into connection. We're called into love God, love people. It's how we're made. Betrayal can work in a way that we find ourselves not trusting people anymore. Like, you know what? burn me once, you know, that's, that's on me, you know, that's on you, burn me twice, that's, my, that's on me, and, and just there's that space of thinking, okay, I'm not going to let that happen, I'm not going to let anybody hurt me again, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to build walls around me and not in, uh, let anybody in. It's a bad way to go, and it's not how Jesus stepped into this. He knew from the beginning who would betray him, and yet he still walks with him, and even into this moment, you kind of watch that whole thing take place. Well, in the midst of that, catch it, we catch the scene. Verse 49, when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? I mean, we got two of them. You know, we just talked about being prepared. You want us to, you know, rescue you from this moment. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear, verse 50. And so here it is. John tells us who it is. You know, you already know, probably it's Peter. Right? Peter grabs the sword and, and he writes, you know, kind of hacks off his right ear. Luke is, is kind of this one who kind of gives a very medical perspective. And so even in this, it's kind of interesting, which raises a lot of questions. I and mean, you know, like, how did he hack off his right ear? There is, you know, some interesting things about that that it could be that he, Peter even kind of hacks off his ear from behind because how you get to the right ear with a sword would be an interesting kind of thing. But Luke is very specific. But Peter's there. He's kind of slashing around with the sword like, you know, we're going to rescue you and take this whole thing out. And 
Jesus just answers. Verse 51, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Luke's the only one that gives us to that. And again, it's kind of his, you know, because you're kind of thinking like, what, what just happened? I mean, here, you know, he, Peter's hacked off his ear, you know, and it's just like, you know, what do you do that? And just Jesus like, hey, no, we're, we're not fighting at this moment. This is not what I'm speaking about. You know, you're not going to walk through this. He says, you need to let this kind of happen. And he reach, reaches up and touches the guy's ear, puts it back on, maybe heals it. We don't know how it works, but he heals him at that moment which is great. I mean, Jesus being able to handle the problems, which, which they're kind of walking through. But once more, just how he's walking into this. He's like, okay, we, we're not turning away from what God has for us. We're walking into it. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and captains of the temple, verse 52, and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? Was I with you daily in the temple and you did not try to seize me? But this is your hour and the power of darkness. I mean, there's just something about watching Jesus handle even this intense moment where he's like, really? Like, you guys are going to bring swords and clubs as if somehow I was some crazy criminal? Like, wasn't I just daily in the temple, and yet you, you step into this moment like this? I mean, there's a rationalness to this. There's a beauty to watching Jesus. But again, as he's just laying this out, as he's just, you know, speaking the, of this whole thing, he's able just to tell them, hey, this is your moment. This is the hour. This is the power of darkness. This is what's happening in this moment. It's a really dark space. And he just admits, he says, I get it. This is, you're, this is, and this, but, it, but it's just, it doesn't even make logical sense how they're handling it. And so he speaks that to them. Well, that kind of relational issue draws us to the next one, which is Peter's denial. So side by side, we have Judas betraying Jesus, and then Peter denying Jesus. Yeah, verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. So we watched this whole thing happen, and in part, we could think through Peter. And we did this a little bit last week because Jesus had spoken it to Peter. He had told him, hey, you're, Satan's asking for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. Hey, I'm praying for you. You're going to fall down, but you're going to get back up. I mean, some amazing things, and it's kind of interesting to watch this. We could definitely walk this through and think through what Peter is going through, and we'll touch that a little bit as we just read through the verses. But I'm also wanting you just to think it through with Jesus. I mean, obviously, we're watching Jesus. We're just trying to be amazed at how he's walking through this incredibly difficult moment, speaking rationally, speaking kindly, just handling all of these things, but even having to deal with watching all those who are around him betray him and, and deny him. So Peter's there, and it's the beginning of it again in verse 54, Peter followed at a distance, and it's been well noted that that's usually when things are going to start going badly, you know, when we follow at a distance. Verse 54, now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them and a servant girl Seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. After a little while, another saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord 
turned and looked at Peter. So catch this whole scene. I mean, Jesus had said it. He said, Peter, you're going to betray me. Not just once, you're going to betray me three times. That's exactly what happened. I mean, they, they literally, asked, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he, and he denies it every time. Every, no, I, I am not a follower of Jesus. I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, they're, they're just kind of pressing in this moment. And, and just that whole weight of, of denying, of pretending that he's not a follower, which Jesus said would happen. And then Luke is the only one that gives us this moment. That the rooster crows, just as Jesus said it would do, as the, as the morning begins to dawn, and Jesus just turns, kind of connects his eyes with, with Peter. It's an incredible moment. I mean, filled with emotion, with reality. I mean, Jesus is probably like, you know, I, I told you like this was going to happen. I mean, this is watching. But it's also incredibly hard. That's a breaking moment for Peter, verse 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Incredibly broken moment, a moment for Peter that is just, it crushes him and feels failure and huge realities. But Jesus had already spoken it, which is what Peter remembers. And a part of what Jesus has said is, when you get back up. <laughs> you know, this isn't going to be the end of your story, Peter, and it had been a, a great lesson, but that's not where Peter is right now. It's just full brokenness. He just realizes he's failed Jesus, which is altogether hard. But I just want to take you back to Jesus for a moment, because all this was being spoken, but this is part of his suffering. Part of the suffering that he's going through is all this is happening, and part of his suffering is that every single person abandons him so that he faces this alone. On one hand, you have Judas betraying, and then you have one of his most faithful men denying him. And I just want to tell you, that's hard. That's hard. And what I'm wanting to just kind of tell you again as we're thinking about this being, it's hard for, for, for Jesus, it's, it's hard for Peter, it's hard in that space of, of, of finding people let you down and, and all that would be in the midst of that. But that's part of the road that we're called on. I mean, so we think about what we're talking about tonight, where Jesus said, hey, if you want to come after me, if you desire to come after me, then you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross. You're going to have to take up your cross daily, and then you're going to follow me. Part of that road is to head down this road where at times just recognizing, hey, this road is going to bring me into this. And Jesus knew it and walked it anyway. In the most simple way, I just want to invite you to the same. And I know that speaking probably to all of us, because probably all of us can have this knee jerk, hey, pull away, hey, you know what? I, you know, people, people are, sometimes they fail you. If, you. if you trust in somebody, they might let you down. You know, if you trust in people, sometimes they stab you in the back. And that's true. That's true. That's part of the, the world in which we live in. But that's the road. That's the, that's the road. The road that he's calling us isn't to go isolate and kind of just, okay, I'm just going to, you know, barricade myself till the day that Jesus comes back. It is a road that is dealing in walking in relationship and that's, that's part of it. And so certainly it must be. If, if this is the road that Jesus is having to walk down, it must certainly be the road that you and I are called to walk down, where we think through all of this, that is part of that hard space. So there's a physical road, there's a spiritual road that's happening here, there's a relational kind of road that's leading this, this following Jesus and what it looks like. 
But then there's just this adversarial place. And obviously that much is taking place in this moment when those who are, you know, kind of getting ready to foist this upon Jesus, it's done with malice and it's done with intent to harm. You pick it up there as we just read it. Verse 54, having arrested him. Uh, Sorry, wrong verse. (laughs) Go down to verse 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. It's a terrible moment. So Jesus has been arrested. He's been arrested in Gethsemane, and he heads into a trial. Now, if you put all the Gospels together, we know that he actually goes through a number of trials, both first in Ananias' house, then in Caiaphas' house, in Caiaphas' house, which is where the, this is what's happening, and, and the high priest kind of walking through this where they're holding him, and yet it's this hor- horrible place. It's a place that now Jesus, having spent the whole night there in Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, they begin to mock him and make fun and ridicule. They begin to beat him, blaspheme, just speak against who he is and and, and all of that in ways that are incredibly hard, physically, emotionally, in in everything that's being taken place. But it's exactly what what Jesus knew was going to happen. And he's inviting us down the same road. He told us, hey, don't think the world's going to treat you better than it treated me. Don't think that your life is going to be somehow always easier than this. No, the road that we have sometimes brings us into a place where physically can be beaten, but also mocked, ridiculed, blasphemed, made fun of. Hard spaces that are a part of it, certainly what Jesus is walking through and, and hard in the midst of all of that. They move from this place with Caiaphas' house and they move to the next trial that now is before the entire religious leaders. It says in verse 66, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, if you are the Christ, tell us. Jesus is now brought before the religious elite of that day. They're not going to be the ones that ultimately condemn Jesus to the cross. We'll pick that up next week. That's going to be Pilate. But much of that is this, and they're trying to establish this this kind of accusation that they have against Jesus, which is horrendous. But one of the amazing things, again, is to watch Jesus. Watch how he's handling this. And again, it's so impressive to me. I think of having watched him there in Gethsemane, watched him both with the disciples and then with Judas and him being able to kind of reason, like, well, is this how you want to do this? And then even reasoning with the guards, like, really, this is what you're doing, even when this doesn't, I mean, there's just a kindness to it, but just truth spoken into that moment, that's not going to work. It's not landing, and it's really what's happening even now. Jesus is, is being asked by this, and he doesn't play their games. He's not going to be there. We know in part of the space from the other gospels, at times he just remains silent as they bring accusations against him, but now they just press him. And they just tell him in verse 67, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, just tell us, <laughs> just tell us, just tell us who you are. Now, they're not asking because they're genuinely interested. They're not asking because they really want to know. In fact, Jesus is able again to, in this moment, handle this in a way that is both honest, speaking truth into a difficult moment. And he just said to them there in verse 67, if I tell you, 
you will by no means believe. And if I ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. I mean, it's just a great answer. It just really is like, you don't even want the answer to the question. I know, I mean, you're asking, but I know you don't want the answer. And I know you're not going to let me go. I know this isn't going to work where this is going to go. And he's able just to, to speak this in a way that isn't being pressured into that moment and isn't letting them press this upon them. But then he just says this in verse 69. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit at the right hand of the power of God. He says, hereafter, you know, he just, who this is going to be. And in this moment, Jesus makes one of the most just clear and accurate and powerful statements to who he is. Now, if you've been with us in Daniel, you might remember, because this was back in Daniel in chapter 7, when kind of picture all of these things beginning to take place, and it pictured that, that the Son of Man was going to come back, and it was a picture of the Messiah. So Jesus quotes from that and says, you're going to see me. I'm going to come back. And I'm going to come back on the clouds. I'm going to come back as the one who God has vindicated, validated, and you're going to be on the wrong side of this. I mean, you're going to be on the wrong side of both eternity and history, but it's a statement to who he is. It's a clear statement of both him being the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God, and just this reality of everything that is, and that's what they were looking for. That's what they were going to latch on to. And so they said to him in verse 70, are you then the Son of God? I mean, you're the Son of Man, you're the Son of God, you're saying that you're the Messiah, and he said to them, you rightly say that I am. Powerful. Quick, by the way, I mean, Jesus clearly says it. Every now and then you'll meet somebody who's like, well, you know, Jesus never actually said that he was. You know, he, yes, he did. He's like, you, you're right, that's who I am. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I am the, the, the one given into this world to, to bring all these things. Yet these ones had no interest in hearing it, but he's told it to him anyway. Verse 71, and they said to him, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. I mean, now we have the accusation. What else do we need? We've, we've heard him speak it, and so now this is going to be part of what they use to, you know, just foist the cross upon Jesus but it is a powerful reality just watching it. I mean, I don't know how you follow this. I don't know how you see this whole scene playing out, but it's amazing to watch how all this is happening in the, in the life of Christ and to watch how he's handling it. And again, I'm thinking it through in the vein that I'm talking to you about tonight. I'm thinking to a, a, of a place that we watch all of this happen. We watch all of these things that are taking place in the midst of it and thinking through how it would be for you and I to be able to say, okay, this is something for me not just to watch, but to follow. That Jesus, again, told us, hey, if anyone desires to come after me, then let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Like, you want to do this. This is what it looks like. This is, this is the road in which, this is the world in which you live. This is the, the place that you, you get to walk into. And what Jesus would say is, watch how I do it learn from that, and walk that way. So we think about even these things. We're watching him deal with people who are completely not interested in the truth, people who are only looking into to bring accusation and ridicule and mocking, and, and yet he's still able to speak the truth, but not with any kind of, you know, well, I, I know you're not actually listening, but I can speak that. I'll still tell you. You rightly say that he, I am. You rightly say that this is what it is. This is not the end of the story. The end of the story is that Jesus is coming back, and he's able to speak it with both authority, 
but not with any kind of manipulation, not with any kind of playing that game. And I'm trying to figure out how to say that better than what I'm saying it, but I, I hope you know what I'm saying. Because life will do this to you. Life will, you know, our, we live in a world that is so broken and is so deceptive, and sometimes there, it's almost as if games being played, and part of it you could be pulled into, like, well, hey, you got to speak their language, you got to deal with it the way they deal with it. Jesus just doesn't. I mean, he's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not there. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is, this is just the truth. I'm not, I'm not saying anything less than this. I'm giving you exactly what's there, and he walks through that in such an incredible way. He walks through that in a way that allows that whole thing to be just walking through in an amazing way, and it's an incredible approach. Now, there's so much depth to everything that we're seeing. Again, just the, the beauty of Christ, walking through all that that is, but I just want you to see that road, because I don't know what you think it looks like. I mean, sometimes people are like, well, I don't even know, what, what does that mean to take up my cross? I mean, so Jesus is telling us, hey, here's what you got to do. You're going to have to say no to yourself, and you're going to have to take up your cross daily, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean we literally die. It doesn't mean that, that we allow ourselves to be crucified, not that it couldn't come to that. It does mean to watch how this happens, to watch the, the way in which Jesus walks through that and to realize, boy, that, that, that's, that's real. I mean, we live in a world that's broken and fractured in so many ways, and, and to live the life that God has for us is this invitation where we would be able to do that. And so I'm just inviting you to see it again when Jesus does this, when he's heading to this, he walks this road in a way that shows us how he does it, which was both practical and even just spoke that to the disciples. Hey, you know what? You, you know, you ought to be prepared because there's going to be some bad days. I mean, this world isn't fair. It's not always kind and you shouldn't be caught off guard. You should be financially, physically, and, you know, just kind of being able to kind of take care of yourself. Yeah, that's part of this world. But you're going to also have to face things, spiritual realities, your own brokenness and your own facing with temptation and how you face that. So there's only really one way to get this, and it's going to follow prayer. That if Jesus had to pray and he had to do that, it certainly had to be that way for him. But that compelled him into a place where both he had people fail and fail him, had a world that dealt with him wrongly, and yet it invited him into that space where he would walk through that. Tonight, I'm just inviting you to the same. I think through what we're thinking through right at this moment. And part of the danger or da the, the hard part of this is that for most of you here this evening, these aren't like brand new accounts to you. In fact, we could sit down and probably talk for, you know, what you say, like, well, so which gospel has that? And yeah, you know, Jesus crucified and the Sanhedrin and Gethsemane. And these aren't like, well, I never saw this before. And there is that danger, that familiarity breeding contempt, and yet I'm telling you there's, there's, there's a beauty to Jesus to see here that's more than I could possibly put into words. But there's also an invitation to life, an invitation to say, okay, if anybody wants to come after Jesus, then we're going to have to deny ourselves and take up our cross every day. It isn't kind of one of those things that we did. Yeah, I took up my cross way back in 1980. That's when I did it. You know, it's kind of where it began for me. It's, no, it's today. And today saying, God, I want to, I, I'm, I'm facing surrendering to you, saying, your will, not mine, be done, walking in the midst of a broken world that's not always going to be fair, and people are going to fail me, and things are going to let me down, and I'm, I'm going to walk it anyway. 
I'm going to walk into a road that would say, hey, that's the world that I, I walk into. But to see it as Jesus saw it, that he looks and says, hey, this isn't the end of the story. You're going to see Jesus come back on the clouds and how that'll change everything. But to walk into that. So that's what we're going to close tonight. So you can close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open. And I want to lead you into a space where we're going to pray. And just ask that God would bring us into that, that there would be a, a sense of just Him drawing us into that space of taking up the cross, of, of allowing Him to draw our lives to what that would look like. And so just want to lead you in prayer and ask that God would draw us to that. Jesus, I thank through some of what we've seen this evening, and I want to say it simply. You're amazing. Watching you handle the brokenness of this world and taking up your cross for us. I think of how it says in one of the Gospels that you do everything well, that you handled everything rightly, perfectly, beautifully, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you did walk this road to take up the cross, to pay the price for our sin. And yet, Lord, I've just been putting out to us this evening that I know it's not meant to be just us watching you. It's an invitation for us to follow, to recognize the road that you walked and we need to walk if we're going to be those who don't turn aside and don't go off track. God, I thank you for your example. Jesus, I thank you for the perfect way that you did this, but now would you just speak to us? Where this is going well, where we are in the middle of the path that you have for us to, to take, where today we are denying ourselves, and today we're taking up our cross. It's a way that we're living this life. Would you just encourage that? But God, if we've gone off track, if we are, if we've drifted, if we've not walking that space that you would have, would you just call us back to it? I thank you that there's mercy, there's grace that always just renews and, and fixes and draws us back, and thank you for that. But God, would you just draw us into this moment and space where we would be just invited to take up our cross, to walk in what you have for us, to follow the path that you have for us. Lord, whether that means just being people who pray or speak the truth or walk in relationships even when we know they're going to disappoint. God, you know. You know what you're speaking to us, but I simply ask for that. God, as I close that, I just want to say this. If there's anybody that's not on the path at all, that this, they're on the wrong side of this altogether. Would you just draw them even now to you, that you would invite them to take up their cross and follow you, to become a follower, to become one who would enter this journey, and with honesty, with a recognition that the Christian life is neither always easy or that it will always end well on this side of things. Lord, we, we look at you and the road that you have and we think, okay, that's, our, that's the road that we're going down. Thankful that's not where it ends. Thankful we're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You coming back on the clouds and bringing us into that. But God, just draw even to you these that don't know you. 
We ask for that and just surrender all of this now to you. Would you help us to follow? We ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen.